Hey, Chad Brown here. You may remember me as a linebacker in the NFL or as a reptile breeder and the owner of Pro Exotics. I've been herping since I was a boy, and I've dedicated my life to advancing the industry and educating the community about the importance of reptiles. I also love to encourage the joy of breeding and keeping reptiles as a hobbyist, which is why my partner Robin and Marklin and I create the Reptile Report. The Reptile Report is our online news aggregation site bringing you the most up-to-date discussions from the reptile world. Visit thereptilereport.com every day to stay on top of the latest reptile news and information. We encourage you to visit the site and submit your exciting reptile news, photos, and links so we can feature outstanding breeders and hobbyists just like you. The Reptile Report offers powerful branding and marketing exposure for your business, and the best part is it's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you got to check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the reptile world's most complete buying and selling destination full of features to help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex, weight, morph, or other keywords and use our buy it now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the Marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad that also gets fed to the Reptile Report and our powerful Marketplace Facebook page. Buy and selling? Use shipyourreptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animals successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptiles successfully, live customer support, and our live on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit TheReptileReport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder. Then visit ShipYourReptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile-related. Possibly three. What's up, Owen? How you doing? Not much. We, the only way to top a three-episode uh, week of NPR 
is if you and I totally decided to lose our minds and do like a week straight, like special, like a show a night for a week. And, you know, that's Ooh. never going to happen. No, 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 I'd be so tired of talking to you by like the third night. It would just, no, maybe you have to have a lot of topics anyway. um, Uh, Yeah, I was just talking about uh, over on the chat about how, you know, it's always been something that we've thrown around about doing our own you know, network of it, reptile it, podcasts. Yes, it's it's one of those things that it was an idea that you and I kicked around a while back, and unfortunately, every time we kind of like stop talking about it and stop thinking about it, and then something like what happened last week happens, and then all of a sudden it's back up in our brains again. And uh, it is something that I think we will eventually do, um, but it has to be done on our terms and the proper way. Otherwise, uh, we, w- we don't want to do it. Because we have been offered a few times to step away from blog talk and join other reptile radio stations and things like that, and we've turned them all down because uh, there were very, through varying degrees of not having the power that we have now with being able to do whatever the fuck we want. So, uh, and yeah, I don't... Give- that's taken away. I don't, I don't want to do it. And I, I've told there, I've told you that numerous times, and you've agreed with me. Where it's like, if if we get taken out of the captain seats, uh, no, <laughs> so yeah, that's, yeah. I just don't like being told what the what we had to do. You know, what I mean, no, 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 no. And I, and I like the way we do things. I know some of the radio stations have uh, more obligations to commercials and things like that. And oh, I hate we have commercials. Our, yeah. <laughs> You know, I try to always then if if we have a commercial halfway through the show, I'll just fall asleep or go do something else or you know hang up. So. We put commercials. I think I think commercials on podcasts should be either at the very beginning or the very end. So if yes. you're listening to it, you have the option to fast forward through it or not, or turn it off. <laughs> yeah, you know, or that, you know when our show ends. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, we could have a, uh, you know, we could even dabble, dabble, well, it wouldn't be us, it would be other people, but uh, Lizard Podcasts and Boa Podcast and Water Bowl Podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Can it just just be Matt in a room with a bunch of water bowls, (laughs) like just talking? Like no script, no semblance of order, just. You know, this water bowl is great, you guys, and stuff of that. So, yeah, thick Philly accent. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yo, 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 check it out. Check it out. Water bowl exactly. going down here, man. This is how we do it. Straight out of exactly. the John. Exactly. The John and the John and the John. With the John and the John. It's like, wow. I don't understand uh, half of what you said. But, yeah, yes. Uh, Again, hope that show. Oh, so, yeah, we're just waiting for. Uh, uh, Dave, to uh, the, the, our, the call. my day has arrived. It's it's a show entirely on rough scale. I mean, holy <laughs> crap! Yeah, like I hadn't for this for a day. <laughs> yeah, I am going to throw out. Um, I don't know if uh, anybody will be in the Arlington, Texas area um, on September twelfth, but 
the Southern Carpet Fest is going to take place. Um, it starts at 3 o'clock, and it's at uh, Bill's uh, place. He's he's hosting. He's he's pulling it out, and he's uh, opening up his house for people to come by. Poor, and... poor bastard. But you know, I was talking. I was talking to him earlier, and I was uh, I was telling him that I'm kind of looking forward to seeing his Carpondros. Um What has he done to you? Did he <laughs> did, you, did you drink something? Are you sick? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I I just they they are really cool looking, man. But you know, they are cool looking. But what the sweet hell? Anyway, yeah. Um. But Bill's got a lot of stuff. If you could steal that diamond zebra jag thingy that he has and, like, just ship it back to me, I wouldn't be upset. Uh, you know you know, the other thing that uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing is the Ocelot zebra jag. Yeah, that's uh, I the remember. one I want. That's it. Yeah. Zebra. yeah, send that here. Yeah. Yeah, I remember just seeing don't that. Don't tell Bill I... you're doing it. Yeah. At ICAST, I think he brought that. If he didn't, he brought a sibling to it or something. But I remember uh, those pictures of the, of that animal are amazing. So yeah. I'm looking forward and to seeing his, it. You see his baby rough scales. He has three of them now. Um, yeah. I, I was yeah. looking at the list of uh, of people that were going to be there, and the one that stood out to me that I can't wait to hang out with is Michael Pinnell. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it should be pretty cool. So, apparently, there it's bring your own, uh, bring your own beer uh, or bring your own bottle, whatever you choose. Um, I think Bill said he has a margarita machine, and uh, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, there's going to be swimming going on, um, but uh, it's going to be a good time. Um, I'll send you plenty of pictures, Owen, as uh, I'm down mm-hmm. there. Uh, Please do. Soaking it up and, in uh, the. Uh, this is again Texas. another reason that we need to have a live life-size cardboard cutouts of each other, so that you could like <laughs> bring that with you to yeah. that that I could make it. I mean, that would have just been perfect. So, of course, yeah. I don't trust half of you people with what you do to a cardboard cutout of me. But you know, it's the thought that counts. Um, I think that would just be awesome. To go down, and, I, and I, I'm a, I'm sorry I can't make it, and I'll hopefully try to make it next year. And uh, you know, um, I, I hear it's going to be a good time, so should be cool. You and him get that on ball python too. So. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see an adult Candino. Uh, that that'll be pretty cool. Um, I understood about half of what you just said there, but okay. So. <laughs> um. The uh, the one cool thing about um, about there is just it's just like networking with a whole new group of uh, carp and python enthusiasts, and um, you know it was the the for for me personally the the ticket wasn't that much, um, a lot cheaper than any snakes that I bought. So <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it's just. Uh, it's just one of those things like I think that kind of uh that kind of investment into uh into the community is uh is good, you know, cuz you get to I don't know, it's just a different feel. Don't you feel it's different when you're like uh talking to people 
um, one-on-one, you know, I, I just, I just think it's a different feel that you, you get to actually get to know the person and, well, you know, I, I mean, I absolutely love that we, we started this whole shindig and the whole premise of it was that, you know, it did feel different and it was something that needed to happen. I mean, I've, I've spoken to a ton of people at shows and it's when you get them out of the shows is when you start really kind of, you know, hanging out and becoming friends and building a relationship that has fun. So, and that's what you need. So yeah. And now you get to have a whole bunch of people who never realize just how short you really are. So, I mean, you know, that'll go over. I won't imagine that'll happen. I can't yeah. remember who put that on the thing, but somebody put that to the Hobbit from Philly is coming. <laughs> exactly. I told you I went to ICAST. And, I'm sorry, I went to Tinley, and somebody's like, "Where's your Hobbit?" I'm like, "I didn't bring uh, him. I'm sorry." <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can't that's crap awesome. put me everywhere. So yeah. it's you know it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's cool. It's cool that Carpet Fest has gotten to this point now, where there are multiple ones that we can go visit. This was just a stupid barbecue in Howard's backyard. I, keep, I mean, yeah. now it's, they're like, what was it? Now we're up to four of them? So. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm waiting for the International Carpet Fest in Europe, in Australia. I know you people hear me. So. Well, they had that. I don't know if they still do it, but they had that. Australia. Yeah. Where it was. It needs but, to be labeled Carpet Fest or I don't count it. So, <laughs> well, when we go to, what they, when we go to Australia, we're going to call it Carpet Fest Australia. God damn right. <laughs> God damn right. <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing field herping. Well, Owen, you've yes. waited for the show for I have. three years. <laughs> um, this is almost as exciting as if we did a show on Imbricata. Uh, that would be for me, but uh, yeah. for you, we're going to do the uh, Morelia Carinata, and uh, David's on the phone, so let's go. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, David, welcome to uh, Morelia Python Radio. Glad to have Thanks, you. Thanks, guys. How you doing? Oh, we're doing well. Now we're finally back on the air, but yeah. Yeah, so, got all that huh. sorted out. Yeah, sorry we couldn't get you on at the proper time to... Technical difficulties always seem to happen when we have, like, a really cool show lined up, and it, like, torpedoes us. I don't know who's doing it on purpose, but we'll find out. Um, but anyway, uh, good to have you on, Dave. Uh, Eric's just starting to get the whole rough scale bug, and, of course, I've been obsessed with them for probably about three, four years now. So you actually have success with them, so it's good to have you on. Um but, Dave, why don't you just tell us how you got into reptiles in the first place? I've liked reptiles almost all of my life when I was one. I don't know if you guys have heard about Red Rocks. It's a uh, it's a state park here in Colorado. It's a big concert venue. Oh, okay. I went there with my family on a picnic. Yeah. And uh, when we walked back to the car, the car was parked against some rocks, so we couldn't get in on that side. But there was a rattlesnake parked on the uh, driver's side. So my dad, uh, he decided that he he had to kill the rattlesnake to get into the car. And somehow that sparked an interest in reptiles with me. Uh, A few years later, 
my dad bought my sister a pair of ribbon snakes. Oh. Uh, one of them was named Puffy. The other one was named Tuffy. Tuffy <laughs> ended up eating Puffy, and they oh, both no. died. Oh, so, no. <laughs> I didn't start out with uh, positive experiences, but I still liked them quite a bit. But say all of Dave's stories are starting tragically so far. But all right, <laughs> what did it kind of go forward? I mean, did you get your own reptile from that point, or? Yeah, when I was about six, I got my first snake. It was a corn snake. Okay. And when I was about eight, I got a ball python. After that, I kept uh, Dermos boa, Brazilian rainbow boas, Mexican burrowing pythons, mm-hmm. uh, different king snakes and milk snakes. I had a short-tailed python, a ring python. Um, trying to remember what else. Some lizards. Cool. I liked horned frogs quite a bit. And then when I was about 22, I sold them all. Okay. And did you just kind of reptile this for a little bit, or did you kind of move in a different direction? I went to New York for school, mm-hmm. and then I came back, and I, I always had the bug. I was always looking at King Snake at the classifieds. That was a big place to look at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, one day I saw the ad for rough scale pythons that Bushmaster had. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I wanted them, so... I talked to my wife. I bought a pair. Um, a few weeks later, I got a second pair, which resulted in her spending the night in a hotel, oh. <laughs> evaluating our relationship. Oh. And now I have about 70 snakes. Oh. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. She's, she's quite the trooper. Apparently. So, what? What? what now. Was was the were the rough scales your first venture back into snakes, or had you had some other animals before they came back into the picture? No, they were the first ones I got back, and then after that, I I got the complete carpet python and the complete chondro, and I got pulled mm-hmm. into chondros, mm-hmm. something I was always interested in, but I thought that they'd be easy to kill and they'd bite the shit out of me, but they're not so bad. <laughs> yeah, so. What what drew you into Morelia in the first place? Because I mean, you said your collection before was pretty uh, all over the place. What what kind of drew you to Morelia? Well, I like the size of carpet pythons, rough scales, and chondros. They're all pretty small. They're manageable. Uh, I think what drew me to the rough scales specifically was just I remember watching an episode of O'Shea's Big Adventure. I don't know if you guys ever saw that one. Mm-hmm. But um, yes. He went out and he was on. He was in the expedition to fi- find the uh, the founding group, which on Weigel. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching that show and I thought, "What the hell are these? I don't even know these existed." And then a few years later, they were for sale. So, who cool. C- couldn't pass up the opportunity? Oh yeah, I mean, there's something that weird and that rare, right? It's just kind of like there. Is there anything else that kind of? drew you into the rough scale just on a as a physical sense of the snake? Well, they have a lot of unique features, the keeled scales. I think they're the only species of python with keeled scales. And golden pythons have kind of a beaded scale, but they're the only snakes with a ridge down their scale, like a rattlesnake. They also mm-hmm. have gigantic teeth. Yes. Um, they're, they're pretty cool snakes. I like their eyes. They have the bluish eyes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I, I can attest to their teeth. For the first time ever, I got chewed on by one of mine yesterday. So I guess it was kind of like a uh, um, <laughs> nod to get ready for the show. Yeah, I got. He bit me. I don't know what the hell. So, um, but yeah, I'm like, wow. All right. Well, okay. So, um, did he hang on to you? No, 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 no. He didn't hang no. on to me. But I guess his teeth were so long, there weren't puncture marks. There were just flash marks. So, oh. but they're the perfect design of teeth. So yeah, it was a nice little hand bite. It was fun, but um, never gotten bit by one of mine before, so that was a surprise. So they do well, have teeth. <laughs> the uh, I did this. I did this kind of like this uh, write up thing to where we were going to talk about some some natural history and such of uh, just some of the different facts and stuff. So since you guys have these things. I'll just read it off, and then you guys can comment on it, since you both have <laughs> have, have them, and I do not. But um, for people that don't know, um, um, rough scales are not really that closely related to carpet pythons uh, and the carpet python complex. Uh, they did DNA research that really makes them a sister species to chondros. Um, uh, I think uh, Terry Phillip really... You uh, used to uh, refer to them as rock chondros. I mean, you guys both have chondros and rough scales. Do you see? Um, do you see? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm looking at the uh, chat room as the there's chat at the same time. <laughs> trying to read. Okay. Yes. Do you guys see uh, a resemblance between chondros and rough scales? Can you see the 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 similarities between the two, or is it? Similar to like what you would see with say a carpet python and a brattle python, or um, what's your thoughts? Dave, go ahead. Uh, just looking at them, I'd say they they look kind of like a cross between a carpet python and a carp and a uh, green tree python. Their heads are similar to a green tree python's, but they're not as laterally compressed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they spend as much time climbing. Uh, they don't perch. Like a green tree python, mine don't anyway. Mine don't yeah, either. They, yeah, they they, 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 they do not sit between. on it. Yeah. So they what? So, they and, just kind of lay in the lay on the bottom of a cage, or I mean, they're really found in like rock escarpments, right? They they are, and you know what? It's funny because I put a couple tree branches in with one of my guys, and he doesn't sit on them but there's a small crevice between where the tree branches sit on top of his hide box and he jams himself in there. So it's almost like they like the naturalistic slits and rock crevices that would be there. So it's almost like they spend a lot of more time jammed into tiny corners than they would up in a perch. But uh, some of my other guys, if you give them a really thick branch that they can kind of lay across, not like a traditional chondro, they'll do that. But again, and what Dave was saying, they look a lot like chondros from like the from like the face and the head, but then the rest of them doesn't. It looks more like a carpet python body type wise. So it is like a kind of a perfect joining between the two. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. So uh, Dave, um, you know we were talking about similarity with chondros. Have you noticed uh, the rough scales doing the – well, I know in, in nature um, 
they pretty much do that same kind of they go to the bottom and they kind of hang there like uh like chondros do when they when you turn the light off in your reptile room um have you noticed that same uh habit yeah they do that uh when when my adults were little i had them in tubs with tree branches i cut off a tree and they would hide during the day and then at night they would hang exactly like a chondro waiting for something to walk by. My adults right now have uh, shelves instead of perches, so they okay. hang off the okay. shelves. It, have you found the shelves work a lot better for them than a perch or something like that? Will, will they not sit on a perch at all, you guys? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know why I switched from perches to shelves when they became adults. Mm-hmm. I don't think it matters either way, but mine don't have the option to perch, so I don't really know if they would or not. Hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If you're sitting on the shelf, shelves work. Good. I like it. So, I don't know. I might start looking at shelves from some of my guys. So I think Terry kept some of his in tubs. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he did. Um, like, I can't see it there, and I don't like that. <laughs> I want to see him. <laughs> But yeah, I can understand. They could probably do well in subs. Now, <laughs> they have an enormous rounded frontal scale on the top yeah. of their head. Uh, Dave, do you have any thoughts? Owen, do you have any thoughts on what that is for? Uh, the only thing I could think of, well, I guess there are two things. The one is that, that primitive third eye thing that people talk about with lizards that they use mm. to detect UV. I don't know if snakes have that or not. The other thing I was thinking of is uh, I have some of my chondros have a habit of rubbing that part of their face. Uh-huh. And I'm not sure what they're rubbing their face on because they're in tubs without any corners at all. But they must rub their face along the edge of the perch, and they get rub marks that turn yellow. Okay. And so that, that's kind of where that big scale is. And it, there are also large scales above their eyes and above the uh, end of their snout. So I thought maybe it was for protection when they're crawling around rocks yeah that that actually they both make sense i i would have said the protection as you're crawling around rocks and stuff but i didn't even think about the um kind of like the whole lizard third eye thing i mean um also i don't know maybe is like a way to kind of soak up a little bit more uv larger surface area Maybe that's your only part of your head you're going to stick out of the... The only part of your body is your head you're going to stick out of the rock, so you want to get a little bit more sunlight. I, I, I'm not sure um, you know, why it's there, but it looks cool. So, uh, But I would definitely that say... That does cool. I love that. It, especially because... Uh, and you, and you, you kind of nailed it with the whole, like... They have that big one in the center, which everyone sees... But they also got the huge ones by the nostrils and their eyes, so I would definitely kind of lean towards protection of the vital areas. So, but it, it, it make, gives them kind of like an armored plate look, which is awesome. So, <laughs> okay. So, what about? I, I guess I would ask you this, Dave. What about? I think that one of the coolest things with these guys is uh, the threat display and yeah. the teeth. <laughs> have, have you seen this uh you know what's the what's your thoughts i've seen a couple of them rear up but they haven't yeah. opened their mouth and, and swayed side to side 
I have had green tree pythons do that though. Really? Mm-hmm. I I had no idea the green trees did it as well. Huh. Yeah, one of them one of them uh, about a week ago was doing it, and I posted a pic on Morelia viridis forum. No but it's way. been pissed off. It's been pissed off for a week. I'm not sure what it's doing. <laughs> I, don't <know> why, <laughs> I don't know why it's mad, but <laughs> right. Wow. All right, I'm gonna have to hunt down that picture because I want to see that. Um, but I have only seen my ruffy, my one, my one ruffy do the threat display once, and that was when I first got him and I unpacked him, and uh, because there was some miscommunications with shipping, he arrived during like a snowstorm, and I thought he was dead. But he perked up, did the threat display, and I'm like, oh, thank God you're alive. You want to kill me, but you're alive. I don't care. So it was one of those moments. Um, it it, uh, it is kind of cool when they do the threat display, but it, it, it's unless they're going to do it and, like, pause and let you kind of look at it, it sometimes can be over really quickly. So, um, But I imagine it's really cool to watch an adult do it. So that's why I kind of want to see uh, – that picture now your of your chondro all pissed off at you um there <laughs> i always thought that the reason for the teeth was because of the fact that they have their main source of prey is a uh it's the kimberly rock rat and mm-hmm. what this rat has uh evolved to do is that it sheds its skin and its hair um to escape from from them uh, mm-hmm. But the long teeth are basically there to sort of grasp through that so that they can hit the flesh and sort of hold on to them and uh, penetrate the lower layers uh, and the muscle so that they can grasp them, which I thought was was kind of cool. So, uh, Dave, have you, any, have you had any issues with your guys' teeth, with like the fact that they may puncture their own gums every once in a while? No, but one of my adult females had a shed tooth stuck between her gum and her, I guess, her lip. Oh. And so I was looking at her. It looked, it looked kind of funny, and I've had this with other snakes, too. You, you fish around in there, and there's a tooth, and it's encased in slime. I, I guess they developed uh-huh. that slime to protect their mouth. Right. They haven't had any uh, bite their own gum line. Okay. Uh, I I have. So, And that led to wonderful um, daily mouth cleanings with betadine and stuff like that, which were so enjoyable. It was ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I, I heard, I think it was, was it Terry who told us that was something that could happen where they could potentially bite their own gums or lips and that, of course, could have problems with that kind of stuff. So I guess it's just something to think about. Yeah. Um, what about... Uh... I was going to ask, shoot, I lost my, uh, you lost my your train of thought. It's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> no, tried. no, no. I lost, I lost my, uh, I'm too busy sharing pictures over in the, uh, in the chat, the as we talk. In the chat. They'll be fine. I do have, I have three questions here. Um, and then we'll get into how you keep them and then how you bred them. Um, the first question comes from Stuart Robson. Uh, would be interesting to know how much info he has regarding the current numbers in the U.S. and any specifics he may have uh, regarding the background of his adults, 
Uh, would be nice to have him talk about their temperaments and such. I found mm-hmm. them very quirky to work with, uh, very curious and outgoing, and uh, I think things like that often get overlooked. What's your thoughts? Um, if I had to guess about how many are in the U.S., I'd probably say 200. I think Bushmaster first produced them in 2010. I think they had one clutch then. The -hmm. next year they had three clutches. Mm -hmm. And then I think the following year might have been the last year they produced them before they sold their adults. And then I don't know if the ones that Terry's produced at Black Hills uh, Reptile Gardens, if any of those made it out. But And then... um, in 2014, when I produced mine, Casey Lazic produced a clutch a couple weeks earlier. And mm-hmm. then there was another gentleman, I think he's in Florida, I don't remember his name right now, he produced a clutch right before mine. And I don't know if anyone produced any in 2015. I actually, uh, from what I heard, because as, as you know, Dave, I was looking for a female for the longest time, that I don't think anything was produced in 2015. Uh, if not, if, if there was, I haven't heard about it. So I'm pretty sure you and the other two guys, uh, Casey and then that, that gentleman in Florida, were the only ones out of 14. And then I don't think anything happened in 15. So, mm-hmm. And all those adults that uh, – it's weird because you, you mentioned all the adults at Bushmaster, but you'd expect there to be more pairs or more breedings at least popping up or even just more lone adults, and there's nothing. So – I don't know how many they sold. I remember seeing them on the list. I think it said adult rough scales, but I don't remember seeing a count. No, of course they weren't going to give you a count. um, Thousands. It would be too easy. But, yeah, I do remember that. I do remember they did that. They they, they sold the pairs off, which I was kind of surprised that they did that. But whatever. And then he asked where I got mine. I got mine from Bushmaster. One of the pairs was from... uh, Reptile Gardens that Bushmaster traded mm-hmm. Terry for, um, I think Terry wanted a pair from Bushmaster. I don't think he could sell them, but I think he could trade them. So I ended yeah. up with a pair from him. And uh, nice. and then uh, the last part of his question was their temperament. Yeah. They're, mm-hmm. they're super mellow. Yeah. Uh, they're fun snakes to hold. They kind of cling to you when you hold them. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're a pain to get off of you. <laughs> <laughs> They they can ball yeah. up like a ball python. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, huh. That's it, interesting. It, and sometimes they do it with like your hand in the middle of the ball, and then you, you're you're there till they decide they want to go somewhere place else. So. Cool. Okay. Uh, I have a question in from Ian. Um, is uh, Ian Wimden? Um, since we are now a number of generations into captive breeding, I'm interested in whether any genetic issues have become apparent as a result of the small foundational gene pool. I'm not aware of any, uh, and I think there are more, several more generations in Australia, and I haven't heard of anything going on over there. But I believe the founding group was three males and two females, Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing they all came from separate gorges, so there would be a little bit of genetic diversity. I think as long as you didn't have successive generations of inbreeding, you could probably be okay. Right. 
like like mother to uh, son or father to daughter, that sort of thing, or siblings, you could probably avoid having a recessive gene on both sides. Right. Yeah. So that's good. That have you noticed any difference in the way the offspring look? I mean, are there any kind of you know, uh, lighter color, darker color, uh, different type of pattern, or are they all pretty much the same? The ones that I hatched were all really uniform. I was hoping there would be a standout, whether it would be a light one or a dark one, and that would have been a holdback. One of my adult females was really light when I got her, and she's still mm-hmm. she's still light. She's kind of muddy, though, the contrast between her. Her brown markings and her tan markings isn't as good as some of the others, but she's noticeably lighter than some of the others. And I've seen some pictures of Australian rust scales that have really good contrast. So I think if you uh, bred a few generations for contrast, you could get some better-looking rough scales. Uh, have you um? Uh, I correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, or if you've heard something different. Is it that they've had four maybe distinct color? I wouldn't even want to call them color patterns. It's almost like variations of the rough scale pattern or something like that uh, versus like brown to cream color. Um, I don't think I've heard that. Okay. I don't but, know. That may have just been somebody who may have been researching it or something like that. I, whatever. So. Yeah, there's there are different shades of the background color and then different shades of the base color, and you could have varying combinations of the two. Yeah, more brown to cream, more cream to brown kind of stuff, I guess. Yeah, the, the two that I bred had the best yeah. contrast of the four that I have. So, they were the uh, are, you, are you gearing up to breed uh, all four in the next season? I'm actually going to, yeah, I'm going to pair them to chondros. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, oh, yeah, I'm just no. fucking with you. No, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, hey, if you do, I only have one request that you call it the Battle Chondro, and then after that, I don't care what you do with it. But <laughs> No, God. I wouldn't do that. No, who would? Uh, uh, Someone will do it one day, and I'm going to feel so bad. But, um, that's that's I'll probably try bad. to breed them. That's almost yeah. as bad as somebody putting a Halmahera python with a jag. <laughs> who would do that? Anyway, Somebody let's go did it. Some- Let's not, let's not think about these horrible things, okay? God. <laughs> I'd like to see it. I wouldn't do it, but I'd like to uh, see yeah. it. <laughs> well, yeah, we all want to look at the train wreck. We don't want to be involved in it, though. So, yeah, we don't blame. You got to do like Steve King does and go under a, you know, like a, different, a different name, you know? So I have a different account on Facebook and, you know, just show the breed. And <laughs> nice. Um, I'm going to hold off on the, uh, the last question I have is from Bill. It's about sex and babies, but we'll get to that when we get into, uh, taking yeah, care of the baby. So right. let's get into some, some husbandry talk. Cool. So, all right. So, uh, Dave, how are you keeping your roughies? I mean, uh, well, what, uh, what cages are you using for your guys? What sizes? The adults, well, I, I guess I sold all the little ones. The adults are in a stack of four-foot boa files. They're four feet wide, two feet deep, and 18 inches high. They have a shelf. Uh, uh-huh. The underside of the shelf, there's a heat panel, okay. which allows them to sit under the heat panel, or they can sit on top of the shelf, and then it's like uh, kind of like a heat pad. 
Right. And then they yeah, have right. two boxes, two hide boxes, one on each end, and uh, keep them on indented craft paper uh-huh. as substrate. Okay. Now, um, how how large you let your guys get? Because I know there is some debate on the size of an adult rough scale. A lot of people say um, chondro-sized is max what you should have these guys. And I know at least of a few people in Australia who have pushed them into the uh, what would be considered a small carpet python size. Yeah, I've seen some huge ones. Yeah. Um, my adult females are about 1,400 grams. The adult mm-hmm. males, they don't feed as much. They're more like 600 grams. I think they should probably be bigger than a chondro. They hatch out larger than a chondro. Okay. Okay, so they do hatch a little bit bigger than a chondro. Okay. Um, what are the uh, temps you're giving these guys? In their cages? My room is heated, so the coldest they get is normally about 80 degrees, so the cool side is 80 degrees, and then the heat panel is... 85 to 86. Okay. They probably spend more time on the cool side than the hot side. I I have noticed that myself, is that you kind of give them the warm spot, but they kind of sit towards the cool side. And uh, have you noticed that, uh, have your, are you guys, are your rough scales more active at night? Yeah, they don't move at all during the day. They're, Mm -hmm. They're most active in the early evening. That's okay. when they're on uh, high alert. If you stick your that's, hand in there, they'll they'll light you up. <laughs> that's uh, I, yeah, oh dear lord, yeah, that's what happened yesterday. Is I'm like reaching in and see if somebody ate, and I got myself destroyed. But um, it, it's almost like the uh, if you ever want to just see all the rough scales kind of warm, like you know, pop up real quick, is you walk through your snake room with a flashlight, and they'll all of a sudden all be front and center, ready to roll. So. Um, that's always cool. And, uh, for feeding these guys, how do you, uh, what's your feed schedule for the adults? We'll get into babies and neos, uh, when we get down there, but, uh, how, what's your feed schedule for your adult females and your adult males? I feed them all softers. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I thaw them in water, so they're sopping wet. And then I feed, um, medium softers, whatever that means. If you those to the uh, males, probably about every three weeks, and then the females get bigger softers, and I feed them more like every two weeks. Okay, so what's the draw of softers versus a normal rat, in your opinion, for them? Um, maybe, maybe maturity. Okay. So it just seems like the right size food for them. A mouse is kind of small and a rat is kind of big unless you feed it a young rat. Kind of like what some of your other guests have said. The, mm-hmm. the, the softers are a little small for the females. That's why I feed them more like every two weeks. Okay. Every two weeks is an African softer. All right. Okay. Mine just eat rat. I'm a bad person. <laughs> so, um... oh, that probably doesn't matter. <laughs> probably doesn't, but, you know, these are the kind of snakes where I'm like, oh, God, no, does it matter? So, um, <laughs> great, I'll be reading that later. Um, have you noticed anything kind of cool observation-wise for these guys where it's just kind of like a, 
a moment where one of them either surprises you by something that they're doing or they're not doing? Uh, we didn't talk about the color shifting that they do. Have you seen that in yours? That's pretty cool. Are we talking like the day-night kind of color shift or? Yeah, night. They, yeah. they can be grayish. They don't do it very often. I've seen it more in my males than my females, but you go in there and they look kind of ghost-colored. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those, the, the I, I never saw it until Carpet Fest when uh, they took my male rough scale and I didn't see him for the rest of the day. And I came and I found him and he, somebody was holding him outside in like direct sunlight. And there were colors bouncing off this thing that I'd never seen on him before. And it was just kind of like, a, oh, all right. So you kind of notice it a little bit more. Uh, in definitely in direct sunlight. So it is kind of cool. It's almost like they fire up like an IJ or something like that. So um, it is cool. Mm-hmm. Huh. Another thing, another thing that's kind of interesting is I had a female get out of her cage. Yeah. And they're they're normally really mellow, but I found her. She was on a shelf, and she was pissed. So she got the taste of freedom and decided she was a wild snake. That was kind of interesting. <laughs> oh my God, no. <laughs> All right. So always keep them locked. Got it. All right. God. All right. That's cool. All right, Eric, I think we're on breeding, unless you want me to do that one. Uh, no, no, no. I, I I just didn't know if you guys were done talking about. Okay. Um, no, no, so... no. I didn't. Do... I didn't... I didn't talk about the hatchlings. Did you want me to talk about that? We're going to get down there. We're going to get to the hatchlings in a second. Okay. Um, we're going to do the other, the getting to the hatchlings part first. Uh, I'm going to first preface this by saying that uh, over on uh, MP, Murray Python's forum, uh, Dave posted up a uh, thread over in the rough scale section uh, showing uh, various pictures uh, throughout the breeding process, which is pretty cool. Um Breeding, ovulation, uh, you know, the eggs, uh, the babies, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's uh, that's pretty pretty awesome. So uh, let's just walk through the breeding season. Um, do you do anything for like preseason conditions, or are you are you are you like a seasonal feeder? What's your approach there, as far as uh, any prep before the season starts? Before I bred them, I wasn't sure if I was going to breed them or not. They were they would only be two and a half when I paired them up, but I was feeding them just to see how big they'd be, and they gained several hundred grams right before I introduced them. Um, the male was cruising around, so mm-hmm. I thought, well, what the hell? The female seems big enough, so I put them together. But it, it wasn't really planned out. It was kind of an <laughs> impulse decision. Wow. Well, that's a good uh, surprise that you had success then. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, a good, awesome. that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, all right, so what are you doing as far as uh, cooling or any anything along those lines? I don't do much intentional cooling, but they're in a basement, and the stack of cages is against the wall. So there's in, here in Colorado, it gets pretty cold in the winter. I don't know what the temperature of the wall is, but because they're – a stack of cages and they're not on a shelf. There's no gap between them, so I imagine that the back side of their cages is pretty cold. 
So okay. I introduced them. I have some notes here. Mm-hmm. I introduced them in February. Okay. Um, after he when was cruising you, around. When did you start to cool down? Or, I mean, when did when does your season, tip it, like, when did you think about breeding them? In February? No, I was, I did it then because I got back from a trip. But, oh, okay. Um, they were, it gets cold here starting in October. Oh, okay. I'm just trying to put the time frame about when you introduced them. So go ahead. I'm sorry. You uh, you introduced them. Yeah, I introduced them, and then I saw the pair copulate three different days. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) Be awesome. (laughs) The female ovulated on April 7th, and then I have a a timeline later on here. The second female. So I, I put both pairs together. I never saw the other pair breed, but that female was full of follicles. You could set her on the floor, and it would look like she ate a rat, but I knew mm-hmm. she didn't because it hadn't fed her. Okay. So I don't know if that male didn't breed with her or what, but she she never ovulated. Huh. Now, I okay. have heard that some boys will just have no interest in breeding. So... um I guess, did you see more activity out of the male that did breed versus the one that did not? Yeah, he was cruising. I don't know if the other male was cruising like that. I can't remember, but I I never saw them breed, and um, the other male is definitely a better breeder. It's good to have multiple males. Crap. All right. (laughs) Got rid of my multiple male. All right. Well, all right. Damn it. Well, I'm buying more from Dave next year. Oh, <laughs> but all right, cool. So when I look Man. at the picture of uh, ovulation, I mean it's pretty obvious that she ovulated. So uh, there's no mistake in that. Um, I that think I took that picture in the morning. I remember when I took that picture. Yeah. Wow. She's re- and how many eggs did she lay? She laid thirteen. Thirteen, okay. Thirteen, and how? One of them was infertile. One thing that I think is kind of interesting is they're almost impossible to separate. Even though I got to them a few hours after she laid them, I checked on her in the morning and she didn't lay. I went home at lunch, and she Uh laid. So they were only stuck together for a few hours, and I could barely get them apart. So I ended up just breaking them into two clumps Mm -hmm. because. If I didn't separate them, they'd be too tall, and they'd be touching the lid of my egg box. Mm-hmm. And I didn't candle them because I didn't want to mess with them too much. A week later, I candled them. I figured out that one of them was infertile. So I thought, oh, shit, I better try to get this one off. I couldn't get it off. And I thought, well, at least I have the other group in the separate egg box if these all mold and go to hell. But yeah. uh, it looked, the infertile egg looked perfect for 55 days. And then it started to yellow, and it smelled a little bit, but it never got moldy, and it didn't affect the other ones that it was touching. Huh. So so 13 eggs, and that's, that's counting the infertile one, or no? Yeah, 13 with the infertile. Okay. And how, how big is the female? Like, how large was she? Did she like 13? She was uh, 1,330 grams post-dump. Huh. I always weigh my snakes after they take a dump. <laughs> 
and uh, <laughs> before I paired them up, I was trying to make sure they were big enough, so I went on the uh, Rough Scale Australians page on Facebook, and I was asking mm-hmm. people how big they bred them. There was someone who got eight or nine eggs out of a 900-gram female, and oh. there are other people who had bred 1,100-gram females. Huh. There was another person who had a problem with egg binding, so okay, I probably hmm. wouldn't do less than a thousand grams. No, nah, nah, I wouldn't either. Dear God, no. Okay. As far as uh, the lay, I mean, like your egg box that you have set up, like well, I should say the lay box, the nest box. Uh, you just using sphagnum moss in there, and are you covering that top? Was that top covered? In that tub? Yeah, I think that's a three-gallon Rubbermaid mm-hmm. tub. Seems like a pretty popular tub for snake lay boxes. It uh-huh. wouldn't fit in the boa file cages because they have those shelves in there. Uh-huh. So I had to uh, move her and the egg boxes into a, a two-foot cube, that I, the type I would use for a chondro. I pulled the perches. And I gave her two nest boxes. One of them was full of sphagnum moss. The other one was had shredded newspaper in it. Mm-hmm. She laid in the sphagnum moss. Okay. That's cool. Did, um, okay. Now, now I know that with chondros, um, it's almost like chondros, you have to, like, almost force the mother to take care of the eggs. Like, I, we've heard Buddy Buscemi, uh tell us that he has to, like, lock his chondro in with the eggs. And then you have carpet pythons. Some carpet python mothers will, like, totally defend their eggs and bite their shit out of you when you go get them was the rough scale kind of in between or was she kind of like here are the eggs or was she kind of like a bear to get off of them uh did you kind of have any trouble with that uh no she was pretty exhausted do you mean when i took her off the eggs or yeah i mean keeping keeping her in the nest box uh both let's go with both did she try to come out of the nest box or and was then did you kind of fight you with the eggs when you went to go to try to take them? Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, I put her in the nest box. She would sit on top of it during the day and bask, and she mm-hmm. would she would turn on her side, mm-hmm. I guess, to heat up the eggs a little bit. And the time from ovulation to laying was 51 days, mm-hmm. which seemed like, more than I was expecting, and from pre-lay shed to laying was 37 days, so I started doing research on egg binding. Okay. I was freaking out. These are actually yeah, the first see. eggs that I've ever bred. Oh, my so, God. <laughs> I, don't really, I don't really have a lot of experience, so I started doing uh, research on egg binding, and what I found was it's pretty rare for snakes to be bound with all of their eggs, and the, the second thing I learned was that it's normally pretty obvious when they're egg bound. There's a big lump of eggs by their cloaca, mm-hmm. but uh, I locked mm-hmm. her in there, and then uh, removing her wasn't a big deal. Okay, that's good. So uh, let's go into the eggs and the babies. Um, first off, uh, you, you did um, do artificial incubation, correct? Yep. And uh, what kind of incubator do you have? I have a Habitat Systems incubator. Okay. Probably 40 inches high, 30 inches wide, and 24 inches deep. Okay. Then I use uh, Herbstat 4 to 
control the temperature, and then I measure the temperature with a calibrated mercury thermometer. Okay. Cool. I, I've heard good things about the habitat, so, so that's that's cool. Um, what were the um, what were the temps that you incubated the eggs at in the incubator? Eighty-seven point five was what I was shooting for. Generic Python temperature. All right. So yep. that's nothing new there. Nothing crazy. All right. Um, had you uh, how did you set up the eggs in the egg box? Were they kind of in substrate? Or did you have them on like a grate? Did you spring from one of the fancy sim containers or? <laughs> I used a some kind of food storage container. It's basically uh-huh. airtight. I poked a couple holes in it, and then um, uh, when I started, I used vermiculite that was sopping wet. And I went with that because I didn't want it to splash. Uh-huh. If I had to move the eggs, if I had to move the box, I didn't want it to splash in the eggs. I thought the vermiculite would keep it from splashing. But the more you stare at the eggs, the more you think there's something wrong with them. So I ended up putting water in there instead. And I don't know if it would have mm-hmm. mattered. But they were sitting on uh, light diffusing grid. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, which we all get for our boxes and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I've, I've never done uh, grid over water. Was that difficult, kind of monitoring the humidity with that kind of stuff? No, it was pretty humid in there. I, I didn't, I didn't measure the humidity. Okay. I just watched the eggs, make sure they weren't denting too much too soon. Right, right. Which, you know, I don't know how the hell you did it without, like, you know, I would be glued to my incubator 24 hours a day, kind of just staring at them. And like you said, the longer you stare at them, the more you find that this could be going wrong. So yeah, um, I'd have to have, like, Eric come over and prime me away from my incubator. But um, how long uh, How long was the incubation time? 64 days. Jeez, 64 days. Yep, and they all, they wow. all tipped on their own. I was tempted around day 55. I figure they're like a chondro, so 50, but they're a little bigger, so 55, and that seems kind of in line with a carpet python. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm i lucky I talked myself out of not pipping them. If I pipped them at 55, they probably would have been all screwed up. Yeah. So... Did you did you pip after one slashed out, or did you wait for everybody else to? No, oh, they all came out on their own. Wow! Wow! At eight, oh wow! Sixty-four days at eighty-seven. That's weird. All right. I think if you look in the complete carpet python, the data there's a little chart with all the egg data for different carpet python species and then rough scales. Yeah. I think I think it says seventy-seven days. 77 days. What yeah. the hell? Must have been pretty oh, cool. My mind. Wow. All right. So, uh, how big were the babies upon hatching? Can you kind of give it a little bit of a relative size, maybe compared to a chondro? Yeah, they're probably. I didn't weigh them. Mm-hmm. I weighed. I had some chondros this year. I weighed the chondros. They were about 12 grams, so I'd say the rough scales are more like 17. They're a little bigger. They could eat uh, a fuzzy mouse when they hatched instead of a day-old pinky. Okay. That's on the basis of um, kind of carpet python. And uh, I do know I have seen hatchling ruffies before, and I guess, like, 
uh, I don't know, but holding a baby roughy, you kind of can't see the, uh, you can't feel the keeled scales. Is there about a moment in time where all of a sudden they become, you know, more of a rough scale touch-wise, like you can actually feel the pronounced keel? I'd say probably about a year. A year? Okay. And um, the ones that I sold, I just sold them when they were yearlings. They were about 150 grams at a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they do uh, they do grow quite a bit in their first year, um, from what I've seen. Um, of course, the one I have from you is probably the youngest rough scale I've had. So uh, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, for feed trials, were these guys a little bit of a bear to get going? Yeah, they're pretty much a bitch. I was hoping they'd come out and they'd be pissy and they'd strike yeah. at anything, but they wouldn't strike at all. Really. Okay. So I I started off. Um, I waited a while because I remember listening to Terry's episode. He said he, you just don't sweat it. You let them get mm-hmm. hungry and then you feed them. So I started with some hopper mice, and I mm-hmm. think I had one eat the first time, and then the second time I had two more eat. But then subsequent to that, some of those I had eight decided that they didn't want to eat anymore. Well, so huh. I resorted to chick scenting and quail scenting for some mm-hmm. and then uh, the other ones that didn't want to eat I just fed them small fuzzy heads and shoulders Okay. and that's that was the first time I ever done that so that's not really a pleasant experience for the snake or, or, the or, or you yeah <laughs> uh, but um, they figure it out okay so they're after, I guess, a certain amount of time, they just started, the ones who were picky and you did have to assist feed, started taking on their own? Yeah, they started eating live fuzzies. Okay, live. And then okay. Um, after about five or six live fuzzy meals, I switched them to frozen fuzzies. And the way I did that was kind of, it was tease feeding, but it wasn't the same way you do with a chondro where you dart it around. Yeah. But take the the fuzzy in the tongs, and I'd rub it against the side of the snake, mm-hmm. probably six inches from the head. Yeah. And they'd, they'd get pissed off, and they'd bite it, and they'd eat it. It was interesting. They didn't respond to tease feeding when they were young, but when they were bigger, they it seemed to work when getting yeah. them onto frozen mice. Yeah, I mean, uh, going on just, just from the, 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 the female I got from you, obviously traveling and new places stress out a snake. So it, she didn't eat for the first, like, week or two weeks, or first two times I offered. But the third time, I, like, tapped her with it, and she went insane all over the thing and swallowed it right down. So they do respond to tea feeding or poking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I guess uh, you've truly terrified me now about baby rough scales because I'm not going to know what to do if they won't eat because I'll panic. So... <laughs> Yeah, they're a bitch. Uh, the adults uh, don't respond to tease feeding at all. If if they're looking at the mouse and they're thinking about whether or not they want to eat it, if you touch them with that mouse, it's over. They're not they're not going to eat it. So, so it's interesting that the little ones went for it. Would you recommend maybe like if you're trying to feed an adult ruffy, do you just like kind of show it to them and wait for them to make the decision, or do you lay it down on the paper or something like that? Uh, I'm, I just move it back and forth a little bit, but I don't touch okay. it with it. Okay. 
and it's mm-hmm. not really a they're, they're not hard to feed they're pretty hungry no. if if they don't want to eat it's probably because i'm not feeding i'm i am feeding them too frequently right right which i'm i'm guilty of that too probably so um but okay that's cool um any other tips you can give for establishing the little guys uh anything you think on the top of your head i think a hide box is important and maybe a perch so they can climb up in the evening and assume their normal hunting position that might make them feel better uh, do you do you, do you, do you have it? You have a kind of uh, a time of day for when you offered food. Maybe would nighttime work a little bit better? Yeah, I'd, I'd do early evening, right when the sun's setting, or a little bit after that. That seems when they're most active. Okay. Cool. Uh, I have two questions uh, from Bill. One: What about sexing them? Is it is it difficult? Uh, is it you know, because chondros uh, are, are you know, difficult to sex and you have to wait until they're a little bit older. Uh, any issues there, or are they more along the lines of a carpet python? I, I had never sexed snakes before, so I asked Jason Stevens to help me. So thank you to Jason <laughs> Stevens. If anyone wants a chondro, they should get a chondro from him. Yeah. So he's he's friends with Terry. He asked Terry what to do with them. And Terry said, yeah, you can pop him right out of the egg. So I brought him over to his house, and, and he popped him, and I think a couple of them squirted pee all over him. And then the ones that weren't popping, that weren't clearly males, then we probed them too. Mm-hmm. But their their tails aren't like chondro tails. They're, they're skinny snakes, but they're not nearly as delicate. Gotcha. Okay. And then subsequent to that, I probed them myself. Mm-hmm. And his it was pretty clear which ones were males and which ones were females. Okay. Okay, that's good. Um, and the other question, well, I have two more questions that popped up. Do they eat and shed when they're shedding or when they're blue? Uh, I don't think so. That I normally don't feed my snakes when they're in shed, but they kind of shut down. Yeah, Okay. I, I have one. I have one male that will. Uh, the other male and the female, they, no, they they would, they look at me with this kind of crazed look of, why are you in my cage right now? So it's uh, <laughs> one of those things. So, uh, and that's, that's true with all snakes, in my opinion. There's some that will eat through sheds and there's some that won't. So kind of got to know who you're looking at, know who you're trying to feed. So here's another question that's, uh, it's a little uh, off topic, um, but, uh, do the sheds feel any different because of the keeled scales? I haven't noticed that. No, uh, neither. You can see the keel in the shed, but mm-hmm. there's, it, it doesn't feel any different. No. Now, when you were setting up perches for babies, um, and I'm only saying this because you said um, that a shelf uh, for the adults, do you offer just like a... a uh, a single perch like you would a chondro or you're doing like a perch where it would have a couple points so that they could sort of perch and, and lay so to speak the perches I use look like little ladders they're machined out of plastic gotcha HDPE I got the idea from Steve Volk he's a 
Amazon Basin Emerald Tree Bell Breeder. That's what he does. So they're they're little ladders, and the rough scales always perch where the horizontal part of the plastic meets the vertical part of the plastic. Gotcha. They never just they don't ever drape over the perch. Okay. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean they're they're a uh, <laughs> they're they're a cool species for sure. I mean, do you see like more people? You think it's one of those species that people have to see in person in order to appreciate? Um, do you see them becoming more popular? What's your thoughts as far as that part of it? I think they're a connoisseur snake, snake connoisseur snake. They're, it's easy to take a shitty picture of them. They just look like a, a brown blob. But when you look right. at all their interesting features, their huge teeth, their eyes, the large scales we talked about, the fact that they're keeled, they have good personalities. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think they're ever going to be super popular, but they're cool snakes, and I really like the story behind them too. But yeah. that, that, I think, is the most interesting point of them is because I like, I I like bringing mine to shows every once in a while. And that's the part I get to talk to people about is this crazy story about getting them and all the shit that went wrong, (laughs) but it's still freaking here in front of me. So, yeah. Did Um, we hit on, did we hit on that story? I mean, do you, do you you uh, want to share that? I mean, for people that don't know that maybe we should, uh, we should share that story. Do you well, guys I don't know, know it very well. I think they were first discovered in the late 70s. One of them was found, and that's the one that's in the Pythons of the World Volume 1 book. Mm-hmm. And then I think the second one wasn't found until the 90s. Mm-hmm. I believe only about a dozen of them have been found in the wild, at least ones that are documented. Yeah, aren't right. they basically uh, thought to be extinct or about to be extinct in the wild? In the wild, yeah, it's one of those things where they thought that the uh, the reason that they had that collection or were given permission to collect them is because they were pretty sure these things were. They had no idea how many there were out there, and because we haven't been able to find them in big numbers, it, realistically, uh, they they should be almost or actually extinct in the wild because. So far, I think we can only find them in a few gorges in certain areas. So they definitely have the label of the rarest python out there. So um, Yeah, they're the smallest range of any python species. This species is found in a small remote area in the northwestern portion of the Kimberley District. Uh, so, yeah, they're basically... You know what I find fascinating? I don't know what you guys think about this, but... When you think about the the story of the evolution of these guys, where um, the fact that how they diverged from chondros is uh, well, it's just a, it's a thought that when Australia was going through a drying out period um, and the climate mm-hmm. began to go towards uh, an arid landscape, you know, so you think you sort of have these um, basically, you know, Australia's uh, you know, rainforest, and that starts to go arid, and these snakes are sort of stuck out on these, you know, I guess now like these gorges, and then they slowly, uh, you know, evolve in from whatever a chondro and a rough scale evolve from into what we see as a rough scale. 
because of their environment. I, I don't know. I find that pretty fascinating. It's pretty cool stuff. And the fact that I remember going on MP, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I mean, th- who would have thought that, you know, you would one day be able to work with the species, you know? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of crazy that, you know, they, they were the rarest python and you never had a... It it gives me hope to know that one day maybe I'll be able to work with Imbricata, you know? <laughs> 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 maybe there's something else out there that we haven't found yet that'd be yeah, good that's true you know yeah. I was uh, when I was on vacation I was reading a book which I, I later learned that this was a scrub python but it's um, adventures in uh, green tree python country and in the book there's a there's a they talk about a carpet python on New Britain uh, the island over there by like where you would find ring pythons and stuff yeah. And I'm thinking, why hasn't this been brought up? Why why do I not know about this as far as uh, carpet pythons? And, um, you know, I found out later on that it was a scrub python. But still, I mean, who knows over there in New Guinea? What if there's a, a rough-scale python over in New Guinea? You know, who knows? <laughs> that would be, be kind of cool. I've, mm. So, I don't know. There, there's, there's, and also there are rooms where... There are snakes out there that we know of that haven't even made it to the herpetoculture. Remember that, um, hell, what was it, that eyelash boa I sent you a picture of? And I'm like, what the hell is this creature, and why don't I have it yet? It's like, I'd never heard of this damn thing. And it's almost like the barring some sort of injunction that would prevent it from being here, eventually it will get here, and we'll be able to check this thing out. So um, it'll be definitely very cool. So... I heard you talking about that on the, on one of the shows, so I looked it up. I didn't know that existed either. It looks exactly. like it would be easy to kill. <laughs> it looks like it'd be hard to keep alive. It it looks like one of those things where I would spend so much money to watch that animal die, and it's like yeah. that would not. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so um, there's just kind of one thing. There's certain things like that, and of course, you know. The first time I got a rough scale in my hand, I thought, dear Lord, please, God, just don't kill it. Just don't, like, drop it or do anything hard, horrible to it. So, um, But it is definitely cool to kind of have that thing go from, you know, this is something like, you know, Mark O'Shea tried to go grab. And uh, from what I hear, from what I'm being told, I don't know if these are the actual stories. They collected five of them. They brought them to a zoo. They got the one was gravid. Then there was some sort of fire, which killed a few of the other ones. That gravid female had babies. And then apparently these things breed like bunny rabbits to the point where they kind of overflowed all of the zoos and private ownerships in Australia. And then the rough scales were able to be exported to other zoos in other areas. So it kind of went all throughout. And that's how we got to the point where we are today, which is why I'm excited when they do things like, they approve Owen Pelly pythons to be, you know, to be brought and bred in the exact same way. So eventually maybe those will get here. So, Well, yeah, I mean, they say that they're pretty rare in the wild as well. But I was mm-hmm. just thinking, I'm thinking back to when Terry was on um, Reptile Radio and he was talking about, um, he was talking about rough scales. He was saying basically how difficult it was to get into these gorges and who knows 
if if there's more or not because the, the how difficult it is to get to where they're at. So um, one of the things I remember when Nick was on talking about Owen Pelly's, he was talking about how you know there could be a whole bunch of Owen Pelly pythons, and just because they're all in these rock escarpments, they're sort of tucked way in the back because. I think he was saying it was like 110 degrees, you know, out mm-hmm. in the open, so they would tuck themselves way down. I would imagine rough scales would be doing the same thing. I mean, it, 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 exactly. It's almost like rough scales have to be endangered and extinct. Well, how the hell do you know? Go out to the gorges and do a count. We can't really get out there. It's kind of hard. So, uh, yeah, the way it rolls, I guess. Yeah. One thing I didn't mention was. Um, the other day, I was before I shipped out the last ones that I had. I was yeah. double checking, double checking the sex of them, and I needed someone to hold the head. So I recruited my wife, and she said, "If they bite me, I'm going to kick you in the balls in your sleep." So, oh, wow, that was a nice threat. <laughs> <right? laughs> yeah. So I decided it was time to pull out the tubes. So we put we put the front half of them in the tubes, and I sexed them, uh-huh. and uh, they didn't want to. You couldn't pull them out. They wedged themselves in there. They they kind of took their body from being in a straight position to an S, and they wedged themselves in the tube. So the only way they would come out was if you let them go forward and come out the other end. So I don't know if they they used their scales to wedge themselves into crevices, mm-hmm. but they certainly wanted to do that when they were in the tubes. So do you think huh. that maybe the, the keels are almost like, uh, lack of a better term, like treads, like grips to kind of, keep them in place so they don't get yanked out of the rock crevices? It could be. Hmm. I don't know if other snakes do that. Have you guys ever used tubes? Uh, No, I just get bit and then just deal with it as it's biting me. So, you know, it's one of those things. But um, I well, had now I get of... kicked in the balls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather get bit than kicked in the balls. <laughs> yeah, me too. I Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so... Um, I have heard that rattlesnakes will kind of do the same thing in a tube if the tube isn't the appropriate size, but, uh, I don't know. I don't have that much, um, experience with venomous, so, hmm, something to think about, but are there, what, what, what other snakes can we think of? I know that, um, I'm going to try to compare this to, um, like, other, I know a lot of other animals that have like peeled or bump scales are like fossorial snakes, like uh, sand boas and the dragon rat snake or something, where you could potentially say that the reason they are bumped is to or keeled is to keep them from getting ripped out of the ground or something like that. So it, it's not that far of a leap to say that that's what the keels are for. So I'd go with that. Why not? So we get rock crevices and try. So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why else they would be killed. Maybe camouflage. Maybe it keeps the, refl- the light from being so reflective. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. Maybe those stupid rats that they eat uh, can't get through the... Their mouth is weird and they can't bite through the keels or something stupid like that. I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Could hmm. it have something to do with the environment as far as uh, dehydration? Yeah. God, see, this is why there needs to be more research on the freaking ruffies. So, 
If you're in Australia and you're a graduate student, just go out to the damn gorges and figure some shit out, all right? Just so we can come and then tell us. So, but God, I would love to do that. I don't care how long you got to truck through the jungle. I will go look for them in the gorges. Right. (laughs) I don't think we're going to go there on our trip to uh, the gorges. (laughs) You die. I mean, you'd never be able to look in gorges. So, it's... True story. So let's talk. Um, uh, you also do chondros, um, which are very similar, like we said, to uh, to rough scales. Tell us what you got going on chondro wise. Uh, I have about thirty adult designer chondros. I have blue line nice. chondros, melanistic chondros, high yellow chondros, and then I have some possible head albinos. Nice. Very nice. Very cool. With the exception of the possible head albinos that I got from Rico's wife, they were mm-hmm. all red as neonates. Oh, wow. Ah. Red, red chondro snob. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're, 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 one of, you're one of those chondro people. All right. <laughs> um, do you do anything uh, special or different uh, as far as keeping your chondros uh, than you do for your rough scales? Is there anything special you do for them? Uh, when they go into shed, I make sure the substrate is wet. I don't miss my condos a whole lot, but when they're in shed, or about halfway through a shed cycle, I'll uh, dump some water on the bottom of their cages. The rough scales don't need any extra humidity to shed. You pick up their sheds and they're sopping wet, but um, the condos can have a hard time shedding if you don't bump up the humidity, and it's really dry in Colorado. Yes. And they have perches. They don't have hide boxes. They find they don't use hide boxes. Um, I feed them smaller meals. They probably keep them a little bit cooler. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your, uh, what kind of pairings are you doing this upcoming season? I mean, you have have quite a nice collection there, they're saying. Anything? Most uh, of them are... Sorry. No, go ahead. Most of them are blue line pairings. Okay. I think I'm, I'm going to do either seven or eight pairs total, and I think five or six of those are probably blue line animals. Some of them have a decent amount of black, so maybe I'd get some black ones out of there too. The blue blue line animals seem to have a tendency of producing black snakes. Right. And then I have now, a couple tiger stripe pairings. Those are high-yellow snakes that Rico produced. Nice. Why were they called uh, tiger? Any Was it a specific just high-yellow trait, or was it a line, or what was, uh, what was when, the deal with them? When they're hatchlings, I don't know if the ones that have been produced recently have this, but the first ones that he produced had a lot of black markings on their sides. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I... And I don't know if that was true for the yellow neonates, but the red ones certainly had a lot of uh, black markings, black stripes all along them. Right. Okay. Hmm. Now, as far as, like, with the, I mean, this would be a good question to ask you, I guess. As far as the the blue line genetics and stuff, do you, do you have a kind of a feel on how you think that, do you, do you find that it's pretty consistent with the animals that you're getting, or is it one of those, you know, where we always hear about chondros where it's like you wait 
you could get something good. You could, you know, could could just get a green snake. Any uh, thoughts? Yeah, I'd say most of the time you end up with a green snake. And, um, <laughs> yeah, you that never know. I, I produced my first chondros this year, and I'm holding them all back. They're both blue yeah. line animals, but I, I can't wow. let the best one go. Right. Wow. Most what people about? shoot for a dark one or one with a reduced pattern, but that's not always the case. I've I've purchased snakes as hatchlings that looked ridiculous and they turned green. <laughs> wow! See, oh man! Uh, you see, that's I guess having chondros, especially blue line chondros, is opens you up to having the worst case of seller's remorse you could ever possibly have. Um, if you let that one go and kept this other one, and that one turned out to be like that blue black crazy and the one you got turned out to be green so or, or buyer's remorse yeah <laughs> or that <laughs> you could spend a lot of money on a snake and end up with a green snake but it, uh, if you take two of those green snakes and breed them together you could get blue snakes you yeah. a crap shoot why <laughs> like oh i can't do that i can't i'll have i have my i have my ruby ox and i'm good with that so what about as far as um, uh, what, what's your thoughts on chondro? It seems to me that like you know hardcore chondro people really are are chondro people to thick and thin, and they don't really you don't see them sort of step outside that box all too much. Um, do you see rough scales maybe pushing people in the chondro world maybe to step outside that box a little bit? I think the rough scales have appealed more to carpet python people than chondro people. Yeah. Yeah. It's the color. Chondro snob, or chondro <laughs> yeah. snobs, maybe. I don't know. It's the color. If, if yeah. the roughies would perch like a chondro, I'm pretty sure other people would be interested. But nah. it's the fact that they don't act like the chondro, they can't all sit in the same thing, and, you know, it's set the balance. It's kind of like the difference between... Let's be honest. It's like the difference between a coastal and a jungle. I mean, we all love coastals, but when you see a jungle, it's hard to beat a yellow and black snake. So, like, when you're looking at, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, roughies are cool, but when you have a blue uh, or a high yellow or, like, this melanistic, crazy-looking blue and green and all kind of colors, it's <laughs> I can see the draw, you know? I I, I get it. But I thought maybe that that maybe just because the species were somewhat similar, you know, maybe looking or like you know, just they're closer to they're sort of like a in between a carpet and a chondro almost, you know. Um, I don't know if they're colorful enough. Yeah, maybe maybe they'll be a morph one day. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> mine are all possible half for albino. <laughs> but it's 0. 0.00000001%. <laughs> I like the mods. Jesus. Nice. So what was the pairing? I, I, you said you did a pairing this year for Condros. What was your pairing this year for Condros? It was from uh, Rico had a pretty well-known male. It's... Um, SH05188 
and that was uh, PNG female bred to um, a Mr. Blue Carolina male, and so he was uh, black and blue, uh-huh. and so he was the sire of my sire, who's all blue snake, and then the female is um, a Mr. Blue Carolina female bred, or no, Mr. Blue Carolina male named Sky bred to an unknown lineage female named Topaz. Okay. So the chi was also blue. All the neonates are really dark. Okay, so you're hoping that, you know, have any of them started shifting color, or are we still all nice and red? They're still all red. They're about four months old. Okay. All right, I'm, I'll be interested to see how they start changing out. That would be kind of cool to see, especially because that, the blue-black chondros will get me every time. I don't know why, but they do. So, But I have not spent a crap ton of money on them. So. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know who Colin, and I'm probably going to mispronounce his last name, Colin Guiley or Gully, something like that. He uh-huh. is, uh, since I mispronounced his name, I'll give you his his website. It's jdragonreptiles.com. He did a similar uh-huh. pairing last year. It was 75% the same blood as the one I did, and he ended up with some really nice blue animals, so I'm hoping that I have some nice ones, too. Each shed is like uh, Christmas for you, right? I mean, each shed you're kind of yeah. open. Like... <laughs> the hell's it going to look like now? Oh. <laughs> Holding on to... What, uh, oh. Go ahead. What, what you really want to see is blue outside of the pattern. Okay. I think uh-huh. a lot of people get excited when they see a red snake and it starts getting blue on it but there are a lot of chondros that have blue on them you want to see blue outside of the neonate pattern and that means that they have a chance of being all blue and keeping it okay sometimes they turn tan first before they go to blue or they sometimes they turn pink that's a really (laughs) good sign that those pink scales are going to be blue jeez all right I, I I still can't do it. <laughs> it's, it's still too many. I can't, I can't live with the uh, um, the what ifs. So huh, I'll. Well, that's what makes it exciting. Uh, no, of course it's <laughs> exciting. Terrifying. Do you God. find Do you find that uh, that chondros are difficult to breed? Did you Did you find that at all? Your experience? No, I I tried four pairs and I got one clutch. I didn't think they were hard to breed. Hmm. Um, I thought I had an issue with my female. She was only about 800 grams, and she had a big lump in her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if she had a tumor or what was going on, but it didn't look right. Compared to my rough-scaled python that had kind of an even swelling, she was really lumpy, and it turned out just to be a shitload of eggs for how small she was. She had 15 eggs. Wow. That's pretty good for a chondro, I think, right? Pretty good for a small chondro. Nice. Do you keep your chondros on the smaller side, or are you power-feeding yeah, rats? <laughs> <laughs> no, I feed my Jumbo females rat. offers, but I don't feed them very often. And then I feed okay. my males mice. Okay. So my males are only about 400 grams, and the females... I don't have that many that are adult size, but my biggest one is about a thousand grams. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. 
All right, go ahead, Owen. I'm sorry. That's all right. No, no, no. Please, condo talk is important. It keeps, you know, the condo guys off our backs for a little bit. Anyway, um, Dave, we have a few questions left, um, and these are the ones that, you know, obviously uh, make no sense, but we have to ask. Um, And that is, if you could have any reptile in the world with no exceptions, uh, what would it be and why? I don't think there's one in particular that stands out. I like some of the carpet pythons. I like um, inlands, diamonds. Um, I like some coastals. Nice. I like bolins are cool. I know you guys have moluccans. Is that right? Uh, Moluccan scrubs? I, I, I did have moluccans, yes. Um, so did, so and did Eric I. had them as well. Yeah. Moluccans are probably my favorite of the scrubs. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're gold mm-hmm. color. Mm-hmm. They're they're a little big. I don't know if I'd get them unless I had a bigger room. <laughs> yeah, but they're on my list. I like uh, Amazon basins quite a bit. Oh God, no! <laughs> uh, I've been there. It's horrible. <laughs> but all right. What do they bite? Is that why? Oh yes. Uh, the ones I worked with the least bit, and and they got the teeth and the uh, to kind of back up their pissed off attitude. So, yeah. um, uh, I, 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 and this might have just been the three that I worked with. They were just nothing but piss and vinegar and, uh, they were just jerks. So I, I, I will never get <laughs> emerald tree buffets. So I hear basins um, are, are mellower. I don't know if that's true or not. I, that, that I think may have been, cause I know one of the, cause they had four and one of them was, a little bit mellower, and I think he was an Amazon basin. Um, but the other ones are just evil, so I won't try it. <laughs> I'm not trying my luck. <laughs> and they, they have also some like teeth. Yeah. Yeah, they have huge teeth. They're really thick. I think that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Uh, I had one, the one that got me put a tooth uh, through the tip of my thumb, like right before, right before the nail. It went in and through, and then he broke the tooth off in my hand. So um, at that point, I stopped touching them. So that was enough for me. Um, but yeah, they're they're pretty. So pretty to look at. Um, you mentioned a lot of Morelia. Do you think you're going to expand your collection to include more Morelia, carpet pythons, and things of like that soon? Um. I'm not planning on it, but you never know. You know, you say you're not going to get any more snakes, and then you buy a bunch of snakes. Yeah, so it's a little I'm kind of running out of room yeah. and time, but <laughs> you never know. True. I'd be more likely to get a carpet python than a scrub python, just because of the size. Yeah. All right, so, now, Dave, if you could go herping anywhere in the world, where would you go, and what would you hope to see? I'd probably go to New Guinea mm-hmm. to look for different types of chondros, see what they're doing, see what the temperatures are like, see where they're found and where they aren't. But uh, I hear it's kind of sketchy over there, so I'm not sure if that'll ever happen. I'd, something that's more likely would be Australia. There are chondros there, and there are a lot of other different species of python there that I could look for. Nice. Okay. 
And uh, how would people get in touch with you uh, if they have some questions or want to inquire about uh, some of your baby green trees or rough scales? Uh, you have a Facebook page, a website? I have a website. It's vibrantviridis.com. Maybe I should have picked a better name. People don't know what Viridis is. It's the uh, second part of uh, Green Tree Python's scientific name. So it's vibrantviridis.com. My email is sales at vibrantviridis.com. I'm the sales guy. I pick up the turds. I order the mice. I'm, I'm the sole employee there. <laughs> and then um, I spend a lot of time on the Morelia Viridis forum. That's moreliaviridis.com. I think okay. my my username over there is Dave D. So you could go over there and message me. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, thanks for coming on the show and uh, talking rough scales with us. Uh, we uh, appreciate it and glad that we could finally talk about them. And hopefully, uh, you'll have more success with them again. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Are you going to get any? I, I, I got uh, it. Yes. him. He's got to get it. Yes. Yes. I. You know, I. I've sort of like uh, not not ignored them, but kind of like kind of ignored them because like they were not at the top of my list, but definitely on the list. And then when I saw them in person. Uh, when I saw the babies at Carpet Fest, I was impressed with them. I thought they were really, really cool. But when I saw the ones at Owen's place where they were older, um, yeah, I definitely want them. <laughs> so <laughs> probably, I'll probably be getting them next year. I mean, I can't yeah. be E.B. Morelia and not have rough scales, you know. It's totally kind of like <laughs> Everyone, sacrilege. Yeah. Yeah. Or what if they reclassify them to Chondropython Carnata? Oh my goodness! Then you it's sell them. I, I, I get out. <laughs> yeah. You'll sell them. Yeah. Uh, they don't nah, fit anymore. Nah. nah. You know, I, the only reason I thought, you know, it's funny. Uh, I said that when we were talking about scrub pythons. Um, for a while, I was getting scrub pythons, and scrub pythons are one of those things where you like. They they look really good on paper, you know, like yes, I'd love to work with these. They're they're awesome snakes, and you know they haven't been bred, and I want to be able to feed them successfully. And um, you know, after dealing with like carpets and chondros, and then you go into your snake room and you're dealing with a with an angry scrub, um, mm. that's a whole yeah. new experience. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I would be lying if I said that, you know, when they did the whole uh, shift uh, for scrub pythons out of Morelia, I was kind of like, whew. <laughs> I don't need I don't to these anymore. <laughs> sell them all. <laughs> no, no, I still have. You don't, I still you don't have, have any? No, no, I still have scrubs. I still Are do. they big? Um, not really, because I like to keep things on the small side, everything. I mean, I have a bar neck. Uh, she's probably, I don't know, maybe she just all of a sudden started to go through a growth spurt. So I'd say she's probably six, six foot, maybe, you know, um, I've, well, I don't know my helmet no. hair scrub that I have, uh, she's probably, yeah, she's probably, I don't know, maybe 
seven foot. Um, yeah, she's she's a pretty big girl. Um, wow. And then I have a pair of uh, uh, tannin bars, which they're tiny, but man, mm. they're 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 evil. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I heard. I yeah, told you that I told you that female I, I told you that female I gave you wasn't gonna like you ever. Yeah. So, and you know what yeah. the thing of it is is like I don't mind so much the bite as I hate the shit, man. When you get sprayed <laughs> with shit, you know, and it's like, oh my god, you know. But Just you know, it's like God. Yeah. It's like when you're so used to dealing with like carpet pythons, which are like just mellow and chill, and chondros, forget it. I mean, you know, they just sit on a stick, really. You know, you just don't really go in there at night, and you're probably good to go. You're not probably going to get bit, at least with the stuff that I have. I don't have any issues with that, but, uh, you know, what else do I have? Well, the Moluccans are the only ones that, that I don't have currently, but, you know, I don't know. They're 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 definitely cool snakes. And I really believe that if they were bred more in captivity, they would probably be chilled, just like retics. I think that they're just they're dealing with wild caught animals, you know, and they're just yeah. yeah. Scrubs are super. You're they're and you're gonna enjoy the white lips. You're gonna enjoy the white lips. Retics are like. You're... Yeah, but they're captive born and bred. But the uh, <laughs> the. Uh, I find scrubs to be almost like uh, like retics, where they have that that sense of what's going on, like they're trying to figure mm-hmm. out figure things out. Just the smartest Dude. mate. They're the smart <laughs> man's Morelia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh yeah. You know, these things Especially are like really scrub smart. Gets older. Sorry. Yes. It, it it's almost like as they as the scrub gets older, they they kind of cue into more stuff faster. We have. I mean, I only have tannin bars here, but I've worked with larger uh, jayas and uh, um, laminas and things like that. And, you know, a, a big adult scrub will definitely decide that every once in a while it needs to kind of check up on how well, how fast you move. So um, they're fun, always fun. Yeah. Do you use no. trash can lids or anything like that to keep from getting bit on the face? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'd be worried well, about that. You know what it is? Like mine are my 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 group, except my tannin bars are pretty mellow, uh, for the most part. But I think with like like I don't know about you guys, but my guard is down when I'm handling carpets and chondros. Mm-hmm. Like. You know, I go in there, I tap them with the hook. They know that I'm, I'm, I pick them up. There's no big deal. But I have a whole different approach when it comes to dealing with scrubs. Like when I go into my snake's room and I'm feeding or cleaning scrubs, I do that on a separate day. You know, yeah. I don't do that on the same day because I just – it's almost like when you're dealing – like if you had venomous and then, you know, non-venomous, you don't want to you work with them on the same day because – if you're going and cleaning a corn snake, you don't want to be in the mindset of you're dealing with colubrids and then walk in and then you're dealing with the, you know, eastern diamondback. You might, you know, make a mistake because right. just subconsciously you might be just be in a groove or something like that. That's kind of how, you know, I approach it. So I, I just never let my guard down with scrubs because they are beautiful animals, no doubt. I mean, it's hard to beat the head scalation of a scrub python. I mean, yeah, that's it an is. impressive head. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're they're impressive animals, but not I like to, to see some oxibills being bred. Those are beautiful. Oh yeah, those with all the orange on them, they are mm-hmm. great. So yeah. and um, I would have loved to get a pair of those at one point, but the uh, I mean, out of out of the scrubs, I know you mentioned Malukins earlier. Those have got to be my favorite of all. Um, but it was almost like the way we I always kind of dealt with the scrubs is to open up the cage and let them kind of come out where I had more room to figure it out. And it was always had an empty cage nearby, and it was just kind of like a shuffle them from one cage into another one, clean their cage, and then kind of shuffle them out um, was the way I got around, you know, getting bit in the face or death. And it was the same way with the uh, – Eric, you remember those gold face? White lips I had, those really, really yeah. good ones. Yeah. Yep. Same way with them. Open the cage, let it attempt to kill me, and then I shove it into another cage. So, yeah. That sounds That's pleasant. Totally. You're, you're really selling me on them, Owen. I am, <laughs> man, aren't I? What I should I'm tell you is, right now. What I should <laughs> tell you is those were all wild-caught animals, and I have captive-born and bred ones, and they're so much more mellow, it's ridiculous. It's like I have a, a baby goldface white lips right now, and honest to God, I, I can freehand them, and they don't give two shits about anything, and it's amazing. Where I've had wild-caught, or I'm putting air quotes, farm-hatched adult. No, they're, they're just insanity. So captive born and bred all the way is what I would recommend. Do so, either of you have ringed pythons? I did. And I will get them again, I swear to God. So I, I had one, I it was mean. Mean? It was mean. It bit me on the arm, and I, you know how you have that reflex where you jerk back? So I yeah. jerked when it bit me. It, the timing is right. It flew across the room a little bit. <laughs> landed on the ground, and it was ready to bite me some more. That's awesome. Oh, wow. <laughs> you sold it the next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I sold I, it. I, I want rings again. Um, what, what, what got to me is, uh, the last, uh, last October at Tinley, there was a ring python that was mostly like all, almost all black. And I was tap dancing around buying it. And then Chad Gray got to it before I did. And he's walking around with it. And, um, it's one of those moments where I look at Chad and I'm like, just, just write me down on the list for this one too. And he goes, can do. And I'm like, God damn it, I'm gonna owe I'm gonna owe that man so much money at some point. So, <laughs> yep. But I, I will get rings again because they're like they they're like miniature white lips in my opinion. So uh, definitely do that again. Yeah, I think I think they're hard to get going. I think they like skinks when they're little. That's what I've heard too, and I also heard that they like um, kind of like really high humidity and kind of lower temps, so it's like almost... I've heard a lot of people actually keep them with moss uh, hide boxes and things like that, so... Um, and I've done that, too, with um, my Dominican Red Mountain Boa and uh, my Savu Python. They like that stuff, too, so... Yep. One day soon. <laughs> yeah. So many snakes, so little space, so little time. Yeah, it's that's a problem. I knocked something off the list, and then I learned about something else, and I want that too. So, yeah, yeah I'm sure soon enough we'll have uh, 
Owen Pelly's here, and you know that's pretty much the the crossover between uh, uh, what Antaresian and Morelia. You know, it's kind of like kind of looks like a, a cross between a children's python and a carpet. You know, that kind of thing. They change color, and but they're huge, but they're super they thin. They are. They're massive, but I, I'm I'm more excited that the 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 Duns pythons are here all of a sudden. So. Yeah. You, you best believe I'm waiting for those things. Yeah. How big do those get? About size pretty of them. small. The the duns. Um, I've heard they're a lot like a Maclots python, so you're looking at six, maybe seven feet. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I kind of like that. Uh, when it comes to liasis, um, Maclots I think are calmest. Um, aside from the olive pythons, and olives get big. But um, Savus can be absolutely bonkers when they're tiny, and they kind of mellow out. But Buscus, which are the water pythons, they never stop being crazy. Um, and they they get to be about five, six foot two. But And then they, they're just like, like, I have to cover up the windows on their cages with newspaper. Otherwise, they'll smash their heads on it, like, every time I walk by. So water pythons are insane. But they're awesome looking, and I love them. So, but yeah, Maclots and Duns are awesome too. <laughs> I am still not selling anybody on anything right now. I'm off. <laughs> I like how iridescent some of those snakes are. Uh, white lips, white lips, and water pythons. Gorgeous, yes. Black face, white lips are gorgeous when it comes to the iridescence. And that's what always drew me to them. And it, it, it hurts me that I don't have any right now at the moment. So um, I will rectify that as soon as I can. Yeah, it's hard to beat those those type of those type of snakes with that iridescence. And you can't really capture that all that mm-hmm. well with the camera. You know, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. But when you see them in person, you're kind of like, whoa, okay. <laughs> now I get yep. it. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Cool deal. All right, well, I guess we will uh, hop off of here and uh, wrap wrap up the show. Uh, again, Dave, thanks for uh, for coming on. Welcome back anytime. Maybe when you uh, hatch out some uh, crazy blue chondros and such, uh, you know, you can come on and uh, share it with us. Um, and I guess. Uh, you you might as well just add me and Owen to the list for your rough scales for you know twenty six. <laughs> yeah. He needs more. I always, yeah. He's gonna make his own. Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding me? It's like I have one point one, but then I keep hearing from people that you need extra males, and I'm like, oh crap. So you know, and then I can't just have an uneven number. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how big are your males? Are they bigger than mine? So one male is massive. Um, yeah. He's almost full grown, which is why I'm sending him. Uh, Nick and I did a trade, and he's going out to Nick. Um, and then my other male, who is his brother, is uh, probably a little bit smaller, but he's getting up in there. And I, he could probably breed if I pushed him, or even just threw him in with a girl. Um, but yeah, those are those are my two boys. And then the little girl is the one I got from you. So. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd say that my one male is probably... I, they're all probably smaller than your voice, but uh, the one male probably not by much, so... 
he he eats like a horse. So <laughs> always has. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Very thanks good. for having me on. I really always. enjoy your show. It gets me through a lot of poop cleaning and water bowl changes, <laughs> and I've learned a lot from it. So it's a pleasure to be on here. Definitely, awesome. and thank thank you for coming on, and thanks for listening to us. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. We seem to be very popular with poop cleaners. <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. People associate us with shit. I mean, that's yeah. just weird. Yeah. No wonder we're doing good. <laughs> we have to well. be in the zone. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> yep. We stick to what, uh, we, what we know. You really have uh-huh. to like snakes to deal with that All shit, literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so true. Especially when it's getting sprayed on you. I mean, that's what I'm talking uh, about. When it's uh, getting projectiled at you from uh, yeah. on your head and your clothes. Uh, yeah. That happened so. to me once. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. A selling point for chondros is that you celebrate sometimes when the females take a dump. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes they don't want to take a dump, so it's. It's like uh, Christmas morning when you go down there. <laughs> you get excited when you have to clean their cage. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it awesome. took a shit. So, very cool. All right, Dave. Uh, again, thank you so much. Uh, and, uh, you know, best of luck with this upcoming season for you. Keep thank us you. Posted. You guys, too. Okay. All right, will do. All right, man. Thank you. All right. Dave. Good night, guys. Night. Very cool. That's your show, Owen. Yay. <laughs> I'm I'm happy now. <laughs> so the uh now, we'll, now I'm gonna put out a a if anybody uh, out there has some bricotta and can no, no, come no. on and talk to us. Oh, wait, no? No, I have I'm already, I'm already working on that. Oh, I'm me. sorry, I am so far behind on you. Yeah. So I'm putting yeah. out a call. To uh, our fellow Australian herpers, uh, they have bred rough scales or would be interested in coming on and talking rough scales. I would love to hear what they would have to say for a different perspective. Uh, didn't, didn't, Darren? Didn't, wait. I'm, lo- I'm looking for somebody to come on and talk like Dave did. I mean, we've had people <laughs> on that have kept. Have roughies, but not. That's yeah. their only yeah. purpose in life. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we had Terry on. He talked about it. We had yeah. you know, Nick on. He has them. He hasn't bred them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, whereas over in Australia, oh my goodness, man! There's, well, they you remember people, <laughs> when you when you attend a reptile show, they give you one free rough scale pipe. Well, you remember <laughs> I was talking at Tinley in October to the Australian guys, and and they were like, oh. I had one with a king tail, so it for a hundred bucks. I'm like, go to hell! <laughs> like, what? After you're shelling out twenty five hundred for your, know. you know, <laughs> hundred bucks. Oh yeah. So like, so. Burn, like Burmese pythons here. Would you like one? No. You sure? No. You get that little reptile back you. when you walk into <laughs> the reptile show. In yeah. there is you know, down in Australia, they give you a little critter keeper with a. Rough scale. Rough, yeah. <laughs> or it's, it's like one of those, will you take these rough scales? No. All right, listen, I will give you a silver peppered inland if you take these three rough scales away, all right? See, I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's gotten to that point. So, 
Yeah, I, I would really love to uh, talk to somebody that's actually been in the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like somebody that's that, that's that's experienced that that could talk on that kind of well, thing. I would love to Nick, have more more people Nick on to all, talk about what. I mean, Nick is all physically fit now. I mean, we can send him places, right? I mean, <laughs> you or I would probably die. Yeah. So we send him and he can report back. He's like an embedded reporter. Yeah. And if anybody tells him I said these things, I will deny it. Oh. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I, I would love to talk to more. Uh, I, you know, there's a, uh, I hate to I mean, say that. It's got to be the people at the zoo where they brought them or the people who were kind of involved in the project. We're not cool enough to get Mark O'Shea. We know that. So it's, uh, yeah, we've tried. We tried. <laughs> I thought it would be great to talk scrub pythons, but you know, I don't know. Whatever email he has didn't work, and nobody responded yeah. back. <laughs> We're not that cool. So. I just, you know, that's that's one of my biggest frustrations with doing the show. Is like mm. you email people and you ask them to come on the show. I would so much listen if you listen to the show and I ever email <laughs> you and you don't want to come on. My feelings aren't. Say you don't want to come on. Yeah. Owen's not going to be upset. Just tell me to fuck oh. off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just say like, look, man, I don't want to be on it. I don't like people. I don't like talking. I'm an introvert, or whatever the case may be. I don't care. That's fine. But the, like when they don't answer, that drives me nuts. My favorite you know? is when they ask, "What are we going to talk about?" I'm like, I-, I don't know. Your favorite color? What the <laughs> hell are you talking about? You know? I would be like, oh, cool. Somebody's asking me to be on a reptile show. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty You're cool. You want to talk to me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll uh, we'll be back this week. Maybe we will. Maybe. maybe we will. Well, well, we're thinking about it. I, I actually finally opened up that email that you said was supposed to be for last, yesterday's show. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, we didn't hit on any of this. <laughs> I can oh, read I these things before we go on air. But anyway. Oh, <laughs> I, should, I don't know why I waste my time. <laughs> God, I hate you. <laughs> I, I spend hours just, you know, writing up these outlines. And, and I show up. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, it. whatever. <laughs> I don't know what he meant by this going on. You know, I, I don't had feel like, like talking about that. Yeah. I had a week I could ask him what it was, but I don't care. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Jeez, Louise. Uh, you're lucky you have a personality, Owen. <laughs> and you're quite a funny There's guy. No time back. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, apparently we had a problem with uh, blog talk again this morning with... Not uploading up our, our, yeah. our thing to iTunes. So I don't know if this will go right up or not. Our other show is up. I'm trying I'm thinking see what had happened is is that like I said this on the, the show the other night. They had um they had us on this high definition uh line, uh which was really good for the sound and you know, everything right. was going along good, but apparently they didn't have it up to snuff as of yet so uh, something happened and it crashed so they put everybody back to the lo-fi sound 
which was how we used to call in with Skype and, you know, mm-hmm. phones and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think when they must have moved the show, maybe somehow it affected the uh, the feed uh, to iTunes. Um, so, that, I mean, I don't know. That would be my guess. But I emailed them. Uh, they did whatever they had to do, and now it came over there, like, later in the afternoon. So hopefully once we end the show, I think it's usually over there within, like, 10 minutes or so. If not, yeah. you can – you can. Uh, I'm going to put the link up on um, uh, MP, and it's over on um, the Facebook page. Uh, so you can listen to it right there, straight from your phone. Just pl- hit play, and uh, it should work. So uh, that's that. Um, it seems like there's a little bit of traffic on uh, the forum. Um, there's a few people over there. Uh, I posted up quite a few things. One thing that I'm doing this week, I don't know, it's just a trial thing. I know it's probably a pipe dream, but um, I posted up uh, my picks over on uh, MP, and then I just put the link on Facebook. So if you want to look at what I posted, you're going to have to go over and follow the link, which actually a mm-hmm. lot of people did. I was surprised, you know, because you can see the uh, the views per page, but, you know. Uh uh, let's see. So yeah, if you have any questions or comments, um, you can uh, send them to us at info at moreliapythonradio.com. Um, moreliapythonradio.com is our website. Um, let's see what else. Like I said, you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, follow us on uh, Facebook and Twitter under Morelia Python, um, and our Facebook page is Morelia Python Radio. Um, the uh, when it's next weekend, September twelfth mm-hmm. is the Southern Carpet Fest. It's in Arlington, Texas. If you're anywhere near the area, uh, get in touch with Bill. He can give you directions uh, to the spot. But uh, it will be co- uh, it will be cool to uh, come and hang out and have a good old time uh, talking carpets, chondros, rough scales. You know, whatever. Carpondros. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Battle Condros. <laughs> whatever you, uh, you know, uh, whatever your heart desires. Um, but uh, it will be cool to uh, to meet meet you guys and uh, put uh, put a name with a face. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should be a good time. Uh, as far as, I'm trying to think what else. Um the forum is moreliapythons.com. Uh, my website is ebmorelia.com. If you have any questions for me or an animal that you'd be interested in, contact me at eric at ebmorelia.com. Which, on a side note, uh, I was cleaning today, and the citrus tiger had albinos. Good God, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Whoa. Yeah. These things are smoking hot. Dude, <laughs> they have to be the nicest tigers that I've ever seen. They're so That's cool. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think just breed them. Forget about the albino part of it. Just the, the tiger part of it is nuts. But anyway. Uh, I don't want those things. <laughs> I will get them from you well, at some point. Well, hopefully this year, like I told you, I'll have them. Yeah. Um, for sale. Send more money. Uh, more money. More money. money. Oh my. <laughs> uh, exactly. 
and yeah, you can follow me on uh, Facebook, EB Morelia, uh, which I'm almost at 1,400 likes. I uh, would love to get to 1,400 likes. That would be pretty cool. So if you haven't liked the Facebook page, EB Morelia, head on over there and give us a like. Check out my website. Put a lot of work into that. Still a work in progress. I got a care thing going up there. Uh, we'll have a breeding page up there, uh, how-to breeding type thing uh, mm. pretty soon. So, uh, and that's everything that I got. So take us out, Owen, and uh, maybe we'll see you guys uh, this week. Maybe not. Anyway. Uh, well, I got it. You can go to rogue-reptiles.com. Check out all the babies we have for sale as well as the future pairings. Uh, we'll post them up as soon as we figure them out for this October breeding season. Um, also, you can go over to rogue reptiles at facebook.com. Give us a like. There is also a for sale thing on there. Also, if you have purchased babies from rogue reptiles, you can contact us through the web, uh, through either Facebook or the web page. We'd love to have pictures of animals we have sold to you, names that they go with. You can post them up in our uh, Sold Babies album. We'll definitely give you a shout-out there. Um, this weekend, I will be at the White Plains Show in New York. Uh, if you want to purchase a baby, it can be delivered to White Plains free of charge. And, yeah, like I said, I won't be vending, though, so don't show up and ask me where my animals are because they will not be there. Um, other than that, the last sh- next show we have after that would definitely be October in Timley Park, which we're splitting a table with Eric. And that's all I got. So what I will say is thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you all either next week or later on this week for some more Moralia Python Radio. Good night. Hey, Chad Brown here. You may remember me as a linebacker in the NFL or as a reptile breeder and the owner of Pro Exotic. I've been herping since I was a boy, and I've dedicated my life to advancing the industry and educating the community about the importance of reptiles. I also love to encourage the joy of breeding and keeping reptiles as a hobbyist, which is why my partner Robin and Marklin and I create the Reptile Report. The Reptile Report is our online news aggregation site bringing you the most up-to-date discussions from the reptile world. Visit thereptilereport.com every day to stay on top of the latest reptile news and information. We encourage you to visit the site and submit your exciting reptile news, photos, and links so we can feature outstanding breeders and hobbyists just like you. The Reptile Report offers powerful branding and marketing exposure for your business, and the best part is it's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you got to check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the reptile world's most complete buying and selling destination full of features to help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex, weight, morph, or other keywords and use our Buy It Now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the Marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad. It also gets fed to the Reptile Report and our powerful Marketplace Facebook page. Buy and selling? Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. 
ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animals successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptiles successfully, live customer support, and our live on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit TheReptileReport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder, then visit ShipReptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile-related. 